everybody, and welcome to another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. I'm your host, Grant Pemberton, and on today's episode, Ken and I are going to dissect and report on what is happening currently uh, at Asbury uh, School and uh, as Asbury College, I guess, in Kentucky. University. Asbury University. Used Asbury, to be Asbury University. College. Okay. Um, currently, if you're not aware, there's a... Um, what's being called a, an authentic move, a revival that is breaking out there. And there's a lot of significance to that place and to, uh, to the timelines. And so we thought we would uh, dissect it and talk prophetically a bit about what maybe the Lord uh, is doing on the earth. So Ken, I'm excited about this one, man. Yeah, me too. It's, it's an interesting time, Grant. Um, we first started hearing reports of Asbury Around a week ago, I don't remember exactly when I first heard about it, and that's not to say I'm on the leading edge. Um, I don't have the, uh, you know, the central clearinghouse of all things revival uh, set up in my <laughs> on my computer, so I just sign on and I see what's happening everywhere. But I was hearing reports of it, and then I started hearing more reports of it, and then I started hearing even more reports of it. And since then, um, I've just returned from filming for my school. And I was in Indianapolis and a friend of mine uh, left Indianapolis and went down to Asbury yesterday and was there. And he sent me some video and was reporting in. So I've got at least that. And I've also been in touch with um, a couple of people who've also been there who are involved with, um, you know, the organization there, the university, the seminary. And so um, I have some I have some information but before we even get to that, I think what's even more interesting is I've, I've been getting other reports now. And if I have my count correct, and I, and I may not, because, you know, sometimes when news is coming in, it's not fully vetted and you just don't quite know all that, uh, whether people have done their own due diligence. And so if the reports you're getting are reliable, this is part of what uh, Clausewitz once called the fog of war. Well, it's also mm -hmm. the fog of revival. Right. And so, uh, but anyway, if I have my numbers right, and so everybody, please give me a little bit of grace on this. I think there are eight other Christian schools around the country right now that are reporting visitations of God, where classes are being canceled, students are in the chapel praying and singing, uh, people are going forward and repenting, a lot of tears, a lot of reconciliation, you know, the kinds of fruit that you would hope to see out of a genuine move of God. And if that's right, if it's even half right, if there's only four other campuses, this might actually indicate that there is something starting among legitimately the youth of our country. Because when you're in college, what are you about? Maybe maybe if you go early, you might be 16 or 17 years old. But I think most people start about 18 or 19. And it kind of rolls through your early 20s, depending on how long you, you take to finish up. Some people finish at 22, 23. Some are still in college at 25. but one of the principles of revival, and we talked about this on one of our podcasts several months ago. I think we made that podcast when I was there in Nashville with you. Uh, one of the principles of revival is that it normally uh, sweeps in the youth. It is, it is not typically right. uh, led by the elder generation. And for purposes of what we're talking about, I'm definitely out of the running, but Grant, you're even out of the running. You're too old. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm painfully aware of that. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, the beard, the gray in your beard gives it away. <laughs> it's too much. I know. <laughs> Got to get some of that just for men. Start doing that. That's it. That's <laughs> it. So anyway, um, so it sounds as though there is something going on uh, across multiple campuses in the United States of America. And I made a comment in one of my messages this weekend about Asbury. And I said, you know, if there's if there's a real move of God, the strange thing is that the mainstream media is not picking it up because back when the Jesus people revival happened in the seventies, it was on the cover of Newsweek and time magazine and people like Charles Kuralt and Dan rather, these are names that obviously show my vintage. Uh, but they were talking about it on the evening news. Uh, that doesn't mean everybody dropped everything they were doing and went, but, but it was, it was a point of interest and curiosity. Well, yesterday I made it, or this weekend, I made a comment about it in one of my messages as I was speaking in Indianapolis and, uh, somebody sent me, um, you know how it is these days, they don't send it in the mail. You get some electronic thing sent to your text stream, um, of a mainstream news source reporting on it and i can't remember now it was either cbs or cnn but they yeah, were reporting that, yeah. on asbury yep yep it seems it seems legitimate and from the reports that i've i've gotten from folks that have been there i'm going to actually try to go this week um it seemed it seems like a real thing it seems it seems like uh, a unique move and um it's continuing i think i just read it's in, in its hundredth hour uh, it started on February 8th. Um, and so as we sit here, I think it's February 13th as we're recording right. this. And so it's still going uh, quite strong. So. Well, it's, and, and let's not forget, we've had another revival move that actually two of them we should mention that, that have been underway now for a while. The first one is what's being called the North Georgia revival out of Dawsonville. Um, so this is northwest of Atlanta as you kind of move towards southeastern Tennessee, uh, roughly an hour and a half out of Atlanta. And it's been going around four years. I don't know exactly when it started. I tried to look before we launched this podcast, but I couldn't, I couldn't pull up the start date. But it's in the neighborhood of four years. So that puts us back into 2019. And that revival has been characterized by baptisms. And, you know, they've taken it on the road a little bit, but still the ground zero is there in Dawsonville. And um, they are reporting many, many people getting delivered in the waters of baptism. That's not to say they are deliverance ministers. It's just happening spontaneously. They're right. also reporting many thousands of healings, including many documented healings. And I heard a, a I watched the pastor of that of that. Uh, revival um, on another podcast and he was talking about an autistic child who had been healed as wow. they were baptizing that person as I recall it was a girl um, but anyway there, so there have been a lot of these reports and at least with regard to I wouldn't say all but many of these healings that are coming out of that Dawsonville revival um, they they are being documented and there is medical confirmation going on so that's pretty amazing. And then we have this other one that Lou Engel started to pursue. And he did that right around the time of Benny Johnson's death, which was back in July of 2022. 
uh, on the 18th of July. And Lou actually flew to Reading to see Benny just before she died. And, you know, she had just uh, published a book on communion. And he asked Benny to lay hands on him in order to effectively commission him to lead a communion revival. So ahead of Asbury, we have two kind of streams of revival that were released, again, one in 2019 and one in mid-2022, centered around the two sacraments that Protestants recognize. Mm. And I think that's rather interesting as well. Um, If nothing else, it turns us back to a more sacramental, I don't know, practice than many charismatic churches have. As many people know, uh, people often get saved and might go years without being baptized. And similarly, many charismatic churches, they practice communion or Eucharist, if you prefer, almost on a hit or miss basis. There's not a lot of intentionality about it. And yet it seems that the early church practiced communion every time they gathered. And I wonder what we're losing because of that. So we've got those two streams and now we've got Asbury going. And um, the reports that are coming out, you said about a hundred hours. Again, people are, the classes are sort of on hold. And this is what's happened there in the past when there have been outbreaks of revival at Asbury. Uh, People are worshiping and repenting of their sins at the front. I don't know how much public confession over the microphone is going on. I don't have any sense of that one way or another, but in some pastor Bibles that has gone on. Well, and that was definitely a marker of, uh, of the first revival at Asbury. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. Actually, if you go to Asbury's um, homepage, they have a history of several revivals. I'm going to pull it up right here that have happened through that school uh, in the past. Give me a second here while I pull this up. Yeah, that's true. I was thinking primarily at the 70, 1970 revival. Yeah. That's right. But just yeah. a quick, hang on, my phone has to pull this up. So in February of 1908, now this is in the middle of the Azusa Street revival, because Azusa was 06 to 09. Revival broke out while someone uh, prayed in chapel. It lasted two weeks and was signified by prevailing prayer and intercession. But note that it happened in February of 08. <laughs> Right. Then February of 21, the last service of a planned revival lasted until 6 a.m. So it went through the night and services were extended thereafter by three days. Again, a February date. Then February 1950, a student testimony led to confessions, victories and more testimonies. This went on uninterrupted for 118 hours and became the second leading news story nationwide. It is estimated that 50,000 people found a new experience in Christ as a result of this revival and witness teams that were that went out from it. We might call them circuit riders today. Now, this is interesting. This story, and you know, here it is on my phone. Hmm. This February 1950 revival, my uncle, my mother's brother, was converted in that revival. And he had been a youth leader in his church, uh, Wesleyan Methodist you know, had grown up as a, you know, Christian kid. But after his conversion in this 1950 visitation, he wrote a letter to my grandmother, which I've seen, but my cousin has it. It's his own son who has the letter that's appropriate. Um, 
confessing that he had basically dishonored his mother and his father by sneaking out and drinking and living a, I think probably by today's standards, a relatively tame life, but nevertheless, by the standards of that period, uh, a very sinful and unholy life and had brought disrepute on the family name. And so he was writing to ask for their forgiveness for having dishonored them and engaged in the sin that he had engaged in. And he was now well and truly and soundly converted. Wow. So I have a connection to that February one. Yeah. Um, and then there's another one in February of 1970, just in fairness, full disclosure, there was another revival that happened due to fasting and prayer lasted 63 hours and it was in March of 58, but that's, that's a different month. That's March in on February 3rd, 1970, uh, the dean was speaking in the chapel, but he felt led to ask for testimonies. And so a spirit of powerful revival came upon the congregation. The chapel was filled with rejoicing people. Classes were canceled for a week during the 144 hours. That's an interesting number of unbroken revival. But even after classes resumed on February 10, uh, Hughes Auditorium was left open for prayer and testimony. And some 2,000 witness teams went out from the town of Wilmore, which is where the seminary is located, and the college, <clears throat> to churches and to at least 130 college campuses around the nation. Then there was another visitation in March of 92. Um, it began with a student confession during the closing of chapel, but right now we're looking at the February visitations, and in February of 06, and this is getting to be pretty current history. It's not exactly fresh off the press, but it's this, it's, you know, this era last uh, a decade and a half ago, a student chapel led to four days of continuous worship, prayer and praise. Um, and now we've got this one that's happening in 2023. So there's something about February and maybe March, and there's something about visitation and there's something about, I don't know, Asbury, uh, now university, formerly college, and Asbury Theological Seminary being some sort of a bellwether mm -hmm. or a harbinger of spiritual outpouring and visitation uh, in the United States of America. And by the way, for those who wonder, Asbury gets its name from Francis Asbury, who is a bishop of the Methodist Church. Back in those days, there was no United Methodist or Wesleyan Methodist or, you know, African Methodist Episcopal. There wasn't any of those breakdowns. It was just one Methodist church. Uh, but he had been commissioned by John Wesley, and mm. he engaged in evangelism. He was basically an itinerant evangelist on horseback in those years, in the 1700s, late 1700s. Uh, and he is reported to have read over 270,000 miles on horseback preaching the gospel and his statue stands today in the Capitol Rotunda in the United States. Hmm. Um, and he is, he is widely viewed as uh, arguably the most significant religious figure in American history, even more significant than Jonathan Edwards. Wow. That's awesome. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Now, you were saying something before we started about the linkage between uh, what happened at Asbury in the 1970s and what happened in, it, it's almost a wordplay, in Hate ashbury mm -hmm. uh, with the Jesus People movement. So, you know, why don't, what do you share about that? Yeah, we, we were uh, 
I was just kind of caught up in this thing on uh, even on Saturday night and uh, trying to, I just felt like this is a significant time, significant um, event. And I saw some reports online. I haven't been able to confirm them that were giving uh, a pretty good amount of credit to the people, like you said, that were coming out of Asbury um, specifically to the to other colleges, other students, um, that there was many of those that went from uh, Asbury to Haight-Ashbury, Haight-Ashbury, and, uh, and they, they credited it as although the Jesus People Movement was beginning, it hadn't fully accelerated. And so they, they see this as a potentially catalyzing event um, in the history of, of that move uh, and of the revival. So, um, you know, and here we are, I was saying, um, you know, 2020, they celebrated 50 years and, you know, we're, we're asking the Lord to do it again. Um, and in 2020, uh, many people were, were asking the Lord to do it again. We had the, the chiefs winning the Super Bowl. Uh, which was a, a Bob Jones uh, type prophecy. So there's a lot of people asking the Lord to do it again. And then obviously it seemed like what the, the opposite thing happened uh, in 2020, but uh, three years later, you know, almost to the day uh, it starts, starts again. So it just seemed very significant and uh, um, in, in some sort of prophetic timeline. Well, if, so if we think about the prophetic timeline, I think most of our listeners are at least aware of Bob Jones. They may have never seen him, you know, in the, in the flesh at a meeting or anything. Um, but Bob was a prophet who came out of the Kansas city area. He was closely associated with Mike Bickle's ministry for a number of years. I don't even know how many, but a long time. Uh, he was a tree trimmer originally. He'd come from Arkansas and he had an amazing prophetic gift that particularly involved signs in the heavens and dates and the ability to tell far in advance uh, things that were going to happen in the future. And one of the Bob Jones words was that when the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl again, um, it would be, I forget exactly the wording, but essentially it would be the sign that revival was imminent, but maybe not quite happening yet. But but it, literally at the very doors, I think is the way Jesus says it in one of his prophecies about the end times. And just to be clear, since I did use the term end times, um, we are we are not talking the end times here. I'm simply saying when Jesus gave an end time prophecy, he used the phrasing at the very doors. Right. And so in 2020. The Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl, and I believe it was the first one they'd won after after a 60-year drought, 60 years. 50, actually. It was 1970 uh, when they won it um, the last time, which is also interesting. It is interesting because, again, the 70s were a period of ferment, and we're kind of at the tail end of the, the cataclysmic upheaval of the, of the 60s, but it wasn't over, not by any means, because... The Vietnam War for us ended in 75. You have the Kent State shootings in 73. So there's a lot of still unrest and upheaval going on in the country as we move into the first few years of the 1970s. And so it's been a 50-year break from 1970 to 2020. 
And then the Kansas City Chiefs win again. And I, Beth and I were talking about this last night. I remember Bob Jones saying something about, and when another win comes, um, that will be, I, I, I almost hesitate to say this, and I wish I'd had more time to do research and fact check myself, but I believe he said, when another win comes, the second win of the Chiefs after that long drought, um, it would be like the trigger point or the detonation or something. Well, as I, we all know, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl yesterday. Yeah. I, I had not heard that. If that's if that's uh if that's the case, then boy oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah, is I, way more I significant. Have the back I, of my head there and and you know, maybe next week when we record, I'll we'll just have like a preamble and we'll clear the deck on that piece of it. But I'm yeah. I'm about 90% sure that he did say something about a second win and it oh. would be the catalyst, the detonator. Makes makes more sense if that's true. Yeah. So what we're doing here, for those who haven't figured it out, is we're talking, but we're weaving together the bigger picture of what's going on with these various revival moves. So we've had Dawsonville. We've had the communion revival. We now have what's happening at Asbury and maybe as many as eight other campuses. We have a prophetic word that Bob Jones gave about the chiefs winning, which came to pass. And, uh, and then we have the word about the second win and we've just had the second win. And I think this is all really important. And it's actually very gracious of the Lord to do this because I, I, everybody on this podcast would be aware unless you're a new follower. Uh, there's been a lot of real despising of prophecy since all of the Trump prophecies with the election of uh, 2020. And I think a lot of people have kind of moved on or they're like, yeah, I don't know. I can't figure the whole prophetic thing out, whatever. Talk to the hand. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going there. I think there's been right. a lot of that kind of sentiment out there. And we are told in scripture not to despise prophetic utterance. And of course, it's easy to do it when you see a catastrophic failure, as we did see with the 2020 election. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that all prophecy is bad or invalid. And it also doesn't mean that the Lord can't and won't speak prophetically and, you know, it's a funny thing, Grant, when I was uh, when I was recording for our upcoming classes in the Orbis School of Ministry, where this upcoming module that will be released this summer is on the kingdom of God. And one of the parables that I was teaching through and exploring and kind of the dynamics of it is it's commonly called the parable of the wheat and the tares. Mm. And in this parable, Jesus talks about a sower going out to sow and he sowed wheat, but then an enemy came by night and sowed um, the, the, the word in Greek refers to a plant known as Darnell, but it tares is the more commonly used older English term T A R E S. Whether you call it Darnell or tares, it's the idea is it looks like wheat, but it's poisonous and it's bad. Right. And an enemy sowed this, and in, you know, as the wheat started to grow up and the, and the tares with the wheat, the servants came and they said, what shall we do with this? And the sower, the master of the field said, let them grow together and they will be uh, separated at the harvest. 
and will burn all of the tares. And that, that parable is widely viewed and understood to be a parable about the end times, that there will be some who seemingly emulate the kingdom. Maybe they go to church and aren't actually Christians. And at the last day, there will be a harvest and the wheat, the righteous, they will go to heaven and the tares, the darnell, they will be separated from the righteous. And although they may have looked outwardly as though they were the same thing, they're actually not. And they will be thrown into the furnace and they will be burned. And this is a metaphor of eternal damnation and hellfire. So that's how that parable is pretty universally understood. But there is still the principle, never mind the eschatological side of it, there is the principle of, uh, of things growing together and there being spiritual counterfeits, and yeah. there is a separation that occurs. And so it may be that this three-year hiatus between the 2020 Super Bowl win and the 2023 Super Bowl win has been to allow some of these Darnell tears to grow up. Again, this is not the end times. I'm just using this as a, as a uh, kind of a template of the way this kind of spiritual separation and separation and winnowing occurs. The tears have grown up. Now we have this revival move of 2023, and it may be that all of the false and counterfeit spirituality will get winnowed out and we will have a purer, cleaner move of God. I won't say pure and clean, only because I've studied enough revival history to know that revival tends to be messy. There's always something that seems to go wrong. Uh, you know, somebody always goes too far theologically. There's, there are these behaviors that sometimes people are puzzled by them. Sometimes they're offended by them. I'm aware, and that may happen here again. But in the midst of it all, we should not be despising prophecy. And we may actually be getting the leading edge of this thing that we've all been praying for and asking for, which is that God would turn our country back to him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what we were talking about beforehand, just in case people were wondering. We we were kind of coming up with this um, before we hit record of what we we're going to do. Um, and that that was the the feeling that I got. Uh, yesterday morning before uh, we, we started our church service was that, you know, I think it's first Thessalonians five uh, says, you know, do not quench the spirit period. Do not despise prophetic utterances. And, you know, I've often made a connection between those two. And so I know in my heart, I know a lot of the things that we've talked about in our circles that we run in, we run in a strange particular uh prophetic circle uh, where people talk about it probably more than most, but um, there's a lot of, uh, what do you want to call it? Hope deferred. There's a yes. lot of whatever about the prophetic, the state of the prophetic. Um, I think that's mostly what we talk about with people and um, off camera, on camera, whatever. And, you know, I just felt very compelled to repent even of my own uh, attitudes towards it. And, uh, all of that doesn't, I don't think, validate or negate that we need, you know, proper protocols and we need to do things the right way and all of those sort of things that we talk about. But maybe there's a chance that some bitterness has crept in uh, to my own heart. And, and, uh, well, that's always a risk. Uh, um, the scripture says that we should see to it that no bitter root, which implies they can have multiple sources or multiple points of origin no bitter root spring up among us and thereby defile many. And so that's really what we're going after, isn't it? That we not 
that we keep our hearts supple and fresh. And that's, that's part of the challenge, I think, of, of the entire Christian life. Uh, because Jesus talks about how in the last days, uh, men's hearts will fail them because of the tossing and turning of the waves of the sea, which seems to be a metaphor for the kind of upheaval in the nations. Right. And, um, and Paul talks about people who will have hardened hearts uh, because of uh, betrayal and families that fall apart. And, you know, all of this, some of it is, of course, related to conflict around the Christian faith itself. But some of it is just the, the nature of the last times that men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of the good. And so it's very easy for our hearts to become callous. One of the sayings we used to have back in the vineyard movement, and it was it was widely quoted everywhere, is guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And so in the midst of the things that could discourage you, anger you, frustrate you, uh, make you want to give up, uh, turn away from the faith altogether, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. And if the well becomes plugged, you may actually run out of that life-giving stream that force and your christianity will become vacuous and dry and what is revival other than awakening people who have become vacuous and dry at whatever level that has occurred yeah yeah no i think that's that's good to know and and for all of us to kind of keep a continued eye on i mean i i think i i think it was putty uh putty putman uh i heard him say once who's been on here several times um, that, you know, basically once you move into this, this signs and wonders territory as a believer, you, you're going to be faced with a lot of discouragement and a lot of complexity and a lot of potential pain uh, that you probably wouldn't face if you just ruled it out, that it wasn't, it wasn't available, praying for sick, seeing some of them yeah. getting healed, some of them dying, you know, that sort of thing. And so as much as we want to embrace the prophetic we have to continue to guard, guard our hearts against it. Yeah, that's correct. I think, I think part of the dynamic that we get drawn into with all of this uh, and that whole, when Putty said, you know, there's a lot of discouragement where that arises is as human beings, we naturally want to assert control. I mean, we, we were made to rule and govern the earth. And that it says that right in Genesis. Right. And so we, we want to assert control. We want to be in charge. And it can turn very bad, but per se, it isn't necessarily bad. It's all about right. how it's administered. Right. Well, the problem is God won't be controlled by anyone. And so the wind blows where it wills. And so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. This is what Jesus said to Nicodemus in the third chapter of John. And so the wind is blowing, but you can't really control it. Hmm. You can try to harness it, which we right. do with windmills and uh, similar kinds of you know, devices, sailboats, try to harness the wind. But you, you cannot control the wind and you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. And so if you are trying to exercise that level of dominance over God himself, and of course, wind and spirit are the same word in Greek and in Hebrew. 
Mm. Uh, so when you're trying to exercise that level of dominance over the spirit of God, what's inevitably going to happen is you will quench the spirit and thus you end up in a you know position where you say these things aren't so. But on the other hand, if you don't quench the spirit, you're in a state of expectation. And sometimes our hearts become weary with waiting. And mm. Jesus gave the parable of the 10 uh, wedding or bridesmaids mm-hmm. to describe that. Five of them brought extra oil because they knew maybe the bridegroom will be delayed. Maybe he won't come at the hour that we thought that he should at the appointed wedding time. And that makes a lot more sense culturally and contextually in the Middle East, because I will just say, having been there a, a number of times, times are a little more fluid than in the West. When we say be there at six, we mean be there at six. Uh, in the Middle East, if you say be there at six, people might show up at 6.30 or seven. And so these other, these other five bridesmaids, they didn't have enough oil and their, their lamps went out. They, they stopped burning brightly. They didn't have any reserve of Holy Spirit to carry them through all of that time of wait and delay. Well, they have to go away into town and then the bridegroom cometh and only five of the bridesmaids were actually able to enter into that wedding hall because they had extra oil in them. So Jesus warned us that there would be that kind of frustration. And so like, just to summarize that, there are these two poles, right? We can shut it all down through control and say it doesn't exist at all, or we can give up through discouragement because it takes longer than we think it should. And all of us are subject to one or the other, and sometimes both. That's right. You're preaching now, Ken. Come on. (laughs) As they used to say, don't shout me down now just because I'm preaching real good. (laughs) Well, Well, anyway, that's that's kind of my thoughts on the uh, on the Asbury visitation. These other visitations we aren't hearing as much about on these other college campuses. Um, The linkage of Asbury to the Jesus revival. And by the way, since we're talking about that one, we should probably just point out um, this new movie about Lonnie Frisbee and the Jesus revival is coming out this month in February. And there's been a lot of talk for the last three or four or five years. I've kind of lost track now of a new Jesus revival and of, uh, you know, of this movie somehow being catalytic in that. And so we may, we may be up for a ride here. This might actually turn into a very interesting season and we may find that the very things we've prayed for have come upon us and we haven't, we did, we actually didn't discern rightly the hour of our visitation. Hmm. And if that's right, then the fastest and best thing to do is repent and say, Oh God, I am so sorry that I got distracted with the cares of this age and the worries of this life and all the busyness and my religious embitterment and, you know, my, my hardness of heart and just go down the list of all that and say, Lord, I do not want to miss one bit of this. Please let me get on the train and let me ride this thing until the very end. I want to be doing what you are doing until the very last of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And isn't it interesting how this is beginning, even the reports in, in, uh, Asbury is, uh, uh, it's beginning with consecration. It's beginning with repentance. It's re- beginning with that, that sort of thing, perhaps to be able to position us to to drive forward uh, in what's to come. So I think it's exciting. Well, you know, on that note, 
And as I guess we wrap up here, um, I'm going to be leading a conference this weekend in the DC area with, um, with William Wood and Brian Starley, who are both um, associate evangelists with Global Awakening. And um, our conference theme is holiness, purity, and power. Mm. And uh, that's not the kind of conference that tends Sells to draw up. people in our stream. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I imagine it'll be well attended just because, you know, people like us. But honestly, I think this is a word in season. We had all three of us prayed about what we should talk about. And this was months ago. And we'd all come up with, I don't know that each of us had exactly that verbiage, but we had that concept. And as we compared notes, we were like, yep, that's what we're doing. We're going for that. And so this weekend, starting on Friday night and then going through Saturday at the gate DC, which is located in Oakton, Virginia, O-A-K-T-O-N, just outside of Washington, D.C., uh, we're going to be doing this conference. And if you want to come and participate in that, assuming you're not at Asbury or down in Dawsonville <laughs> or uh, participating with Lou Engels somewhere, uh, come on out and uh, participate with us and who knows what the Lord may do. Yeah. No, that's so good. And I think it's important to note that uh, we hit we hit three things, but obviously the Lord is doing a lot of things. Uh, and and so we know that that there are things happening all over. We're not discrediting them. Uh, the, these are just the, the three things that we were thinking about uh, in, as we were preparing preparing for this. So just the disclaimer, you know, so everybody yeah. knows we, we, we're for everything God is doing uh, for sure. But uh, I just, absolutely, we definitely are. Yeah, we. But again, the questions start coming in. Well, what do you think about Asbury? Do you think it's legit or not? Or what do you think about Dawsonville? Or what do you think about you know? So we're just trying to address the ones that we've had questions about. Um, yeah. and, and but but that is not in any means to leave anything else the Lord may be doing to the side. Right. Right. Well, uh, Ken, how how can they, people be praying um, as we wrap this up? If uh, if this is starting to what should people do? If, yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's interesting with John the Baptist. He had a preparation ministry, and it says that he came to prepare the hearts of the people so they would receive the visitation. That was the nature of John's ministry. So what we can be doing now is we can be praying, number one, to repent of any hardness or bitterness in our hearts towards those who prophesied amiss, those who maybe have continued prophesying amiss, uh, and also the jadedness towards the entire prophetic uh, endeavor uh, because those prophecies missed. I think all of that is about us, and, and we own that. That's in our hearts. We've got to get our own hearts and minds clear about these things and say, yes, Lord, I used to be enthusiastic about the prophetic. I've, I've really drawn back. I want to, I want to lean into that again. I don't want to be foolish. I don't want to be unwise. I don't want to be taken in, but neither do I want to be hard and cynical and bitter. Right. So that's step one, get your own heart, right? Uh, number two, find some believers who are like-minded and by this, I mean, they are also repentant of, over the fact that perhaps their own hearts had become hardened and jaded and bitter um, so that you can you can join together because there is strength in numbers. And it's always been the case that the Lord wants the fellowship of the saints to be the thing that um, fuels us and keeps us um, 
filled with fire, filled with joy, filled with expectation and hope and, and all of that forward looking. That's always been the case. And so you can't do this alone. If you're, if you're sitting at home watching this podcast or listening to it while you're driving or something, cleaning the house, well, great. Okay. That's, that's good. And you're taking on some fuel for the fire, but it's not enough for you to try to do this alone. You need to be with people who are thinking the same way and maybe have a prayer meeting of your own. Ask heaven to open and ask God to come down and visit you there with your friends and that you would catch fire in the midst of all uh, that is going on on a broader scale. Third thing you could do is if you are aware of something that's going on somewhat near you, try to go to a meeting or two and sit in on some of those meetings. Grant, you mentioned you may go down to Asbury this week. I won't be able to. I've got many other things going on. But if it goes on for another week or two, maybe I'll fly out there just to visit it myself. Uh, but, you know, like I said, if you know Lou Engle's doing something or you can get down to Dawsonville or the, the band of guys from Dawsonville that are traveling, if you know they're going to be in your area, you could come to the meetings that, um, that William and uh, Brian and I will be doing in Washington. There are various things that, that you can do to connect yourself to this wider circuitry. And I will say this, when we had the great Australian outpouring, it was a coast to coast visitation over that nation. And there were many, many, many communities affected. And it wasn't just in the big cities. A lot of times revivals break out in small, out-of-the-way mm -hmm. places. That's another principle of revival that we covered in that podcast we did some months ago. Well, with that, one of the ways revival spreads is through interconnection. Mm -hmm. And I learned this when I was a telecommunications executive. The more nodes you have in a network, the more powerful the network is. Mm. Or the way we used to say it, the power of the network is in the nodes. So you don't necessarily need to go to one of the big flashpoints. You would be okay if you just go somewhere where there is revival power and fire and sentiment and interconnect to the wider network, much as the internet works today. You could be sitting in some little small town but if it interconnects to the, to the national backbone or to the worldwide internet, you could be looking at something that's going on in Mumbai, India from, you know, boo-hoo-you in the middle of Indiana. And you could, be, you could be catching the overflow of that. So if you go to a smaller place, as long as it's somehow connecting with this wider sentiment of we want God to move, we are calling out to God for our country, we are repenting of our national sins. I am repenting of my personal sins. We are asking God to restore our families. We are asking God to bring us prophecy again, living, fresh prophecy. We are asking for purity in our hearts. We're asking for your presence to come down. God, extend your hand and do mighty works of power. Lord, turn our nations back to you. Lord, make justice rule in the courts. Lord, make what goes on legislatively in Washington and in all of our state capitals. And even in the, in the city councils of all the various cities throughout the country, Lord, would you do something about the state of our nation so that people are not hardened to you and bitter toward you and indifferent towards the things of God? I think if, you, if you're somewhere where that's going on, you will have found Pater. Yeah. No, that's great. So that's four things you can do. Four things. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Well, Ken, this is good. This is timely. 
Thanks for, uh, I know we had a couple other things we're going to talk about, but uh, we'll put those on the next week podcast and the week after that. But uh, otherwise, thanks for taking time out of your schedule. And thank you all for tuning in for another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. We'll be right back here, same time, same same place next week uh, for another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. recently updated the Orbis Ministries app with Ken's free teaching archive. You can click on the link in the description of this podcast to download today.